Welcome to session 52 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 21st of February. Today we'll be looking at Numbers 35 to 36 and Psalm 52. But so far in Numbers, we've read as the Israelites made the final preparations to leave Sinai. The journey to the Promised Land, the stop in the wilderness of Paran where the people rebelled and decided not to enter the land, the journey in the wilderness where we waited for the old generation to pass, and then them settling again in the plains of Moab. We read through all the preparations and new instructions that seemed like random rules, but were actually a retelling of Genesis 1 to 9. Israel was to be like a new creation, learning from the mistakes of the first time round. We then read as Israel set off, established and ordered by God, only to immediately complain. Aaron and Miriam, Moses' own brother and sister, challenged whether Moses was really hearing from God. After that, the Israelites arrived in the wilderness of Paran, just outside of Canaan. Moses sent 12 spies to check out the land, and 10 of the 12 complained that the land was filled with descendants of the Nephilim, and that they had no chance. God then tells them that none of this generation will enter the promised land. This was followed by the Levites rebelling under Korah. So the people set off back into the wilderness to continue to be tested by God until the old generation pass away. The people complained and Moses this time rebelled a little, losing his spot in the promised land. They fought some battles, complained some more, and more of the old generation died. In winning some battles, the Israelites also claimed some land. We read as they settled into the plains of Moab. There they were seen by Balak, the king of Moab, who hired a foreign sorcerer, Balaam, to curse Israel. But God wouldn't let Balaam curse Israel and instead Balaam blessed Israel three times and then cursed all of their enemies. Then we settled into the final section of Numbers as the new generation had prepared to enter the land. Phinehas proved himself a worthy successor to Aaron and Joshua is chosen to replace Moses when the time comes. The new generation were given instructions on offerings and on vows. They were also charged with wiping out the Midianites. In doing so, they claimed land, which led to two and a half of the tribes, seeing that land was good and wanting to take it for themselves rather than enter Canaan. Then yesterday, we read through a recap of Israel's journey through the wilderness, the selecting of the leaders who would divide up the land when they enter it, and a warning to remove any taint of the foreign nations from the land. So let's jump in with Numbers 35 to 36. While the land is divided up between the tribes, the Levites don't get any land. They are a unique 13th tribe. Despite this, they are still to be given cities dotted around the promised land. While wandering the desert, the Levites were the ones responsible for maintaining the tabernacle. Now as they enter the promised land, they will be a constant reminder to the rest of the tribes of the need to be holy and pure in God's land. Six of these cities are to become a city of refuge. These cities are a symbol of God's mercy. Here God makes allowances for people that commit manslaughter, who kill someone by accident. In many cases, the family of the person killed would still want revenge, and so the murderer could flee to a city of refuge for safety. The Lord specifically says, you shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for blood, and it's shed in, except by the blood of the one who shed it. That's Numbers 35, verse 33. This is a reference back to Genesis 4, where Cain killed his brother Abel, and his blood polluted the land. In the same way, these cities of refuge exist to prevent constant retaliation, which leads to more blood polluting the land. 
If you remember a while back, some daughters came to Moses and asked if they could inherit their father's land. That was back in Numbers 27. Now, as the people are preparing to divide up the land between the 12 tribes, some of the leaders raise a concern. If a woman inherits some land and then marry a man from a different tribe, then that land would then belong to the new tribe. Over time, this could unbalance things, with some tribes owning too much land. So Moses responded, saying that women who inherit land must marry within their tribe, with the daughters from Numbers 27 were happy about. This may be one of those things which today we're confused or unhappy about. Who is Moses to tell these young women who they can or can't marry? The thing to remember is that today we're a very individualistic society. The most important thing to us is that as individuals, we are free to make our own decisions and do what we want. The Israelites were not an individualistic society. They were a tribal society. People actively chose to do what was in the best interest for the entire tribe, often putting their own needs or desires to one side for the benefit of the tribe and for the future of the tribe well after they've died. So things like which tribe land would belong to after you died were important things to think about. And so the book of Numbers ends, with the people waiting on the outskirts of Canaan, ready to enter the land. Through Deuteronomy, Moses will once again go through all the rules and instructions, providing specific advice for how these would apply when the people are settled in cities in the land. But that's Numbers 35 to 36. Now let's look at Psalm 52. This psalm is attributed to King David and speaks of Doeg the Edomite. We find the story in 1 Samuel 21 verse 7 and 22 verses 6 to 23. David's on the run from Saul and stops at a holy site in Nob, managed by the priest Ahimelech. There was a man there named Doeg, who later tells Saul that David was there, which then led to the death of 85 priests. It isn't easily slotted into a particular genre. In some sense, it's a lament psalm, except it's not aimed at God and no request is made. It could also be described as a wisdom psalm as it talks through the consequences of the wicked and the faithful. Some call it a trust psalm, as throughout it all the psalmist puts their trust in God. I'll let you decide which you prefer. But here is a summary of the structure, and I would recommend checking out the written version of the commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. We start off in verses 1 to 4, accusations against the wicked. Verses 5 to 7, the consequences of their actions, and then verses 8 to 9, the psalmist praises God for his provision. The psalmist starts by accusing a mighty man of evil. The title points to the original inspiration being Doeg, but the point is the psalm can be directed at anyone practising evil. Their tongue is destructive and deceitful, and they love evil more than good. They may feel confident in themselves for now, but this won't last. The psalmist then points the wicked ones to the consequences of their actions. Eventually, God will judge them for their wickedness. He will break any strength they think they have and will uproot them so that they have no protection. They will be a lesson to others about what happens when you choose not to make God your refuge, when you trust in your own wealth and strength. The psalmist then turns to themselves as an example of a better way. They have trusted in God and are like a green olive tree. They are strong and bear fruit. Olive trees were symbols of life and fertility. They get to enjoy God's presence. In return, the psalmist praises God for who he is and waits patiently because they know God will provide. This psalm serves as a lesson on how to live. We shouldn't be like the wicked who trust in their own wealth and strength and who love wickedness and lies. Instead, we should put our trust in God for he will strengthen and protect us.